Welcome back to another episode of the Commitment Issues Podcast. I'm Woody Womack, joined on the phone from Miami by Rob Cassidy. Rob, how's it going today? It is going, Womack. How are, how are things in Atlanta, Georgia? Uh, going well. We're going into the uh, second week of my fire pit project. Uh, and, a, and a man who has experienced several of my past fire pit projects, Nick Kruger, out in Texas. Nick, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. I took a brisk walk this morning. Blood is flowing. I'm bringing the energy today, boys. All right. So uh, before we get into the topics, uh, we want to remind everyone, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, we're available on every type of uh, podcast platform. Go out and find us. Leave us a review. Best way to get the show delivered right to your phone. We're doing multiple episodes a week sometimes now with uh, extra interviews and stuff like that. So check that out. If you have any questions for us, you can reach us at rivalspodcast at yahoo.com. And uh, you can find any of us on Twitter pretty easily if uh, you know how to use the old Twitter machine. So let, let's get right into the top five. We've got all kinds of topics. It's a very good week this week. Number one topic, Vandarius Cowan, Rivals 100 linebacker from down in Rob's neck of the woods, gets kicked off his team. You know, and I believe gets two personal fouls in the middle of the game, gets benched, and then proceeds to... Uh, Eat, eat concessions <laughs> and talk to people uh, during the game, gets kicked off the team, he gone. I will start with talking about him. A couple other players also have been kicked off their teams who are, who are notable recruits. Rob, what's going on down there? What's up with your boy? Well, I refuse to believe that that's the, I mean, that's obviously not the full story, right? Like there had to be things building to this because nobody's going to kick off a five-star player of a high school team just for getting kicked out of a game and eating some hot dogs or peanuts or whatever. That's not like a thing that exists unless you're playing for the strictest high school coach in the history of the world that doesn't want to win games. So there had to be a history of disobedience or something at work here. Um, you know, it's kind of a larger issue though, I think, instead of just dwelling on Vandarius or, you know, some of the other guys that are getting kicked off, it's... I guess it's, does this matter? And, you know, I'll let Nick answer first. I'll throw it over to him. Getting kicked off your high school team, it doesn't seem like, unless a college team is looking for a reason to drop you, that it's going to affect your career going forward. I mean, they're going to take you as long as you are big and you are strong and you are fast and you are good at football, correct? Well, first and foremost, I just want to say, in the email that we had circulating when this happened, uh, it was linked to a story. I can't, I can't remember the local newspaper that reported on it. Embedded the tweet that our, our boy Cowan took on his visit to Alabama. Nick Sa- It's a picture with him and his mom and Nick Saban dressed to the nines, nice shoes, three-piece suit, looking sharp. And Cowan, what's he wearing? His pants are tucked into his socks and he's wearing sliders and a, and a pullover, which <laughs> I thought was uh, pretty hilarious uh, just from a fashion point of view. So I don't know. Maybe that's a, that's a kickoffable offense for me uh, right off the <laughs> bat. But... But, uh, you know, I, I think I think it's case specific. I mean, everybody, you know, we hear every year when, when it comes NFL draft time, everybody talks about character issues and how much that plays into player evaluation. Uh, there's other things that go on, too. I mean, I know one of the guys uh, just here in my neck of the woods, uh, Stefan Zabi, is a guy that uh, was ruled ineligible uh, by rule of his, you know, like the amount of time that he, he spent in school this year. And, you know, he's still, you know, we have him as a four star and he's still getting recruited by some major programs. So, you know, in some ways, I don't think that playing uh, playing on on the team per se uh, during the high school season is a is a make or break sort of uh, deal for for a player's uh, potential at the college level. But I mean, I think there is something to be said for, you know, if, if character flaws are what are the root cause of him getting kicked off his team. I mean, that's certainly, you know, if, if it's going to happen in high school, it, it, there's reason to believe that it might happen at the college level, too. Well, you know, here, here's what I think. Now, the way Rob's saying, Alabama has said they're going to honor the scholarship. They don't really care, blah, blah, blah. So, so there's nothing to worry about there. From our perspective, you know, I, I do think it raises a red flag. I mean, if we look back, and I know Nick's only been doing the rankings for, you know, this is his first year doing it full-time, but of course he's been close with a lot of the prospects. Most of the guys who have had these type of red flags pop up, guys that we've known are, you know, questionable characters based on our limited interactions with them, uh, you know, a lot of them have run into the same issues in college. So, I mean, if you look at a guy like Preston Williams at Tennessee, I mean, you know, in terms of someone who I was dealing with, one of my least favorite recruits to deal with, uh, I just, uh, you know, everyone else ranked him as a five-star. We ranked him lower. They, I actually got into an argument with the, one of the coaches at Tennessee who thought we should have had him ranked higher, and I said, you know, wait till you deal with him for a little while before you, you get on my case. And then 
turns out the, the straw that broke the camel's back was him getting in a fight with that exact coach on the field in the middle of practice and, and getting kicked off the team right there. So if you're fighting with your coaches in high school, you know, where you're already the top dog, what's going to happen when you get to Alabama, you're a fourth string, you're redshirting, you're on the scout team and, and people are jumping down your back. That's, that's my concern on that. And I think that's why maybe it does matter a little bit. Yeah, but you also have to, you know, obviously there's two sides to every story here and, you know, what really qualifies as character issues, you know, air quotes, character issues. Sometimes I think you and I will agree that coaches can take things a little too far as well. You know, coaches are not infallible. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not defending Cowan. I don't know what happened, but it's hard to define something as character issues if you don't really know exactly what took place. Because I think the three of us agree that he didn't get kicked off the team for eating a hot dog, right? Like there had to be some other, there had to be some other building, you know, factor to this. Yeah, but I think I I think the problem is, is it you know, it's it's representative of like. For, for that that's like a microcosm of uh if you if we really wanted to unpack this that that sort of thing is like a microcosm of how you deal with adversity right i mean are you going you know if you get pulled off the field after two fouls that you know you put yourself in that and your team in that situation you get scolded and uh you get pulled off the field are you going to you know keep your chin up and work hard to get better the next time or are you going to sulk and eat a hot dog and talk to fans and not care about the rest of your team your brothers right as most players like to say and uh, i'm not saying it's right or wrong but i mean it definitely you know it definitely is not a good look right no, it's not ideal by any means. I'm not saying that, you know, I want to recruit 22 guys that eat hot dogs and get thrown off the field. Well, I, I just think, I, I, you know, I, a lot of times these situations work themselves out. Jeremiah Holloman, who is another guy who uh, I have ranked much lower than other people, got kicked off his team and then, you know, magically was back on the roster two weeks later. I mean, generally these coaches and kids straighten it out. I was I was interesting to see that Cowan uh, – he got kicked off his team and the army game also said now he can't come to the army game because of that. And we know that, you know, they, they had a guy, uh, a couple of years ago who got a personal foul for punching someone during the game and then he got the MVP. So I was surprised that, uh, they drew the line there on that one, but well, they've got a very strict. They've got a very strict non-hot dog eater clause in the Army game contract. Well, see, you're, Rob, you're you're viewing it as like okay, someone someone handed him a hot dog. He was sitting there on the bench. I know when I played football, uh, our coach used to have a rule that you couldn't even turn around and look at the crowd. You know, there was no. You know, I go to games now, and it's a lot different than that. But my guess would be if he was. You know, like the story in the Palm Beach Post uh, that Nick mentioned earlier, uh, he they said he was over by the fence talking to people and stuff like that. So if he's not kind of participating in the team and he's pouting and throwing a fit, a la the aforementioned Preston Williams, uh, I think, you know, coaches usually don't like that type of stuff. And uh, I think that's probably what happened. I think it had more to do with that than the than the hot dog situation. If, if Before we move on, <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this. Just to draw on the Adarius Lemon situation, he was also dismissed from his team. Um, via some off-field stuff. Uh, let me ask you this, both of you, because you know I'm, I'm open to either one. What are you more concerned about? The off-field stuff that, that doesn't affect the football team? You know, by all accounts, Lemons was a good teammate, a good football player, just got into some stuff that had nothing to do with football and was removed from his school, or the stuff that Cowan did? I, and, you know, I don't have really an opinion either way, but which would give you more pause if you were a college coach recruiting these kids? No, the stuff the stuff off the field is worse because, you know, you see, you see it a situation. I mean, when you go to college you're 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 on a you're on a, a a lesser leash because you're that much closer to adulthood you have more things available to you you're away from home you have more uh more debauchery that you could find yourself getting involved with i mean look at what happened with uh, max redfield this year at notre dame you know and his history of off the field stuff that led to his dismissal i mean the, the stuff off the field is way more dangerous than the stuff on the field at least you know if you're talking to you know parents and eating hot dogs and stuff like that. At least there's somebody close by on the coaching staff that could reel them in if they really wanted to. <laughs> well, if we look at a guy, uh, here's a, here's an interesting case, and we'll kind of wrap it up with this among Rob's point. We had Tavares Martin, who was a three-star wide receiver, was actually uh, in the Rivals 250 at one point uh, down in South Florida, uh, same neck of the woods there. I think he went to Dwyer at one point. I went to several high schools, like several guys down there. He uh, got arrested, <laughs> got lost all his scholarship opportunities, didn't sign anywhere. 
uh, and then ended up signing late with Washington State. Okay, he had chance. You know, early he had Alabama, Oregon. He had all these big time offers. Him and Preston Williams were in the same class. Preston Williams never got in trouble with the law. Never had any issues like that. Go ahead and look at their career stats and their career and their and their and how they panned out. I mean, Martin got a second chance and and took it and thrived on it. And Williams is now, uh, you know, kind of floating somewhere and had like twelve career catches, which is a which is a a game for, for Tavares Martin up at Washington State. So I think it can go both ways. I think I personally, um, if I'm Alabama, I don't know. I don't know what I would do with with uh, Cowan, but I just, I think there's a lot of red flags there, but, you know, Reuben Foster was a guy who was kind of a knucklehead, and look at him, he turned out uh, very well, and looks like he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Okay, Nick, now we move into topic number two, which, boy, it really concerns you hot and heavy here, and Rob and I both have uh, fiery opinions on this one. Eno Benjamin, one of the top players in the country, highly ranked running back, decommits from Iowa, uh, then we have a story on our Iowa site, which, you know, believe me, is the go-to news source for, for Iowa news there at HawkeyeReport.com. They have a story saying basically Iowa pulled his scholarship because he took visits to a couple schools and lied to the coaches about it. And then, you know, went on to talk about how they have a no-visit policy, which kind of struck me as odd considering Chevin Calloway's committed there and just took an official visit to Nebraska Didn't get his didn't get his thing pulled. So what's the story, Nick? What happened with Eno Benjamin, and would Iowa really pull the scholarship of a guy that maybe is a once-in-a-decade type uh, commit for them? Yeah, that is pretty a uh, pretty strange decision on their part. And I know uh, Northwestern, I believe, another another big team, uh, Big Ten team, has the same policy. Once you're committed, you know, you're officially part of the family, and they don't want you looking around elsewhere. And I think I don't know. I can see. I, I can see from their perspective if they've got kids that they think is 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 uh, going to help them elevate their program, and they're a team that isn't necessarily considered among the elite year in and year out. Uh, you want to feel like you have those kids in the fold, and you don't want to have to worry about them. In Iowa's case, you know, we talk a lot about jumping the shark on this podcast, and I think Iowa did that. I mean, I'd mentioned several times that for the past two or three seasons, I think leading up to this year, they hadn't had even a four-star commitment. This year, they had they had three of them, and we're talking about two of them leaving. Eno being one of them, Chevin likely the other. So, uh, so they, you know, they really set themselves up uh, to to taking that next step. You know, in their in their program development with the with the core group of kids that they had, obviously, you know, we've we've given a lot of praise to is sort of the glue uh, that that's led to um, you know a lot of these Texas kids in the Dallas area committing to Iowa as well. Now he's no longer part of that group, and you and you wonder what that means for the rest of the kids that are committed out of that group. Um, some some of them certainly had uh, significant offers elsewhere too that they may consider. I haven't gone down the list and checked in with every one of them quite yet, but. Um, you know, in Eno's case, I mean, it, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was a situation where he lied to the coaches. He, well, I don't know. It depends on what your definition of lying is. He took, he took the visits on the slot and just didn't tell anybody. And, uh, word got, word got back to the coaches. And once they found out about it, they weren't too happy about it. And the situation with Chevin, I think is much more contentious. You know, that's, that's been a little bit more of an open dialogue. Chevin's been a little bit more outspoken about his relationship with the coaches there. Whereas, you know, up until, up until Eno's decommitment, you know, he really, uh, waved the flag saying that everything was, you know, honky dory for the most part, um, leading up, leading up to that decision. So do you think he was, so do you think he would have gone there otherwise, like say, say they didn't drop him, would he have stuck with the commitment or was he headed to the road towards decommitment anyway? No, I think he probably would have ended up staying there. Ultimately he wanted to enroll early and his other, you know, his other major option, uh, was Michigan who, already has three uh, running backs in the fold and, you know, may or may not be in the, in the mix for a couple other highly ranked <laughs> running backs too. So that'd be a very stacked group. Um, you well, know, the, the other uh, schools that, I mean, the schools that, the schools that, you know, was, was looking at, uh, you know, the, vi- the visits that got him in trouble, I suppose we'll say was a trip to Arizona state and a trip to Michigan, um, um, sorry, Missouri. So, I mean, I, I don't know, depending on your perception, I'm not sure that either one of those represents a big step up as far as, uh, you know, program opportunity than Iowa, but uh, you know that's trips to Arizona uh, State have got many a fine man in trouble over the years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that. That definitely, in terms of uh, uh, a visit you'd like to take, I think Arizona State would be high on my list as a recruit as well. But I, I think here's the issue: 
and this is, you know, kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier. If, if, you know, cooler heads need to prevail here. If you're in Iowa, who cares about this stupid policy? Why You can't apply the same policy to every, it's like, you know, the, the coaches who treat every single player the same who comes to campus. That's not how it works. I mean, I think it was, you know, Chuck Daly, when he was the coach of the Pistons, said, sure, I have different rules for different players. That's just how it works. And unfortunately, if you can still get this kid, you know, who cares? You know, and I know our Iowa site, like I said, they do a great job. They wrote that the trust is gone. You know, unfortunately, you can't really trust a whole lot of these prospects because their minds change all the time. It's they're kids. I mean, kids make mistakes. Kids lie. They lie to me. They lie to their their high school coaches. They lie to their parents. So, you know, why, why would it be any different with a college coach? If I'm Iowa, I, I got to figure a way to, if he really wants to come there, you know, let's let cooler heads prevail. And you mentioned Michigan. You know, I talked to someone at Michigan uh, over the summer when they had three commits. And I said, well, you guys got three commits. He said, well, we really can only consider that we have one commit. So there will be cleaning house and there will be room there. But, but I, you know. I don't know, Rob. I know you. What do you think? You don't you think that they should just suck it up and and make up here and then get the kid? Yeah. First, I just want to touch on the actual decommitment of this guy. Can we talk about how poetic this was? It sounds like a John Meredith in the middle here when he says, "There's a lot that has to be said," but do the words really mean much at this point? <laughs> Couldn't you see John Mayer singing that over an acoustic guitar? Yeah, uh, that definitely was a uh, well spoken, well. Uh... Very eloquent decommitment for the notes app. It's fun. It's funny that he says there's a lot that needs to be said, but you know, closes off uh, his media access to anybody that wants to talk to him. So, well, in his defense, do the words really mean much at this point? That's a, that's a good. That's <laughs> words a good don't mean much. <laughs> no, you know. All right, back on point. Back on point, though. Yeah, I, I agree with Woody. I, it's especially if you're Iowa, you're not exactly in the position to be turning away top kids, are you? I mean, at the end of the day. Do I think that the coaches are pushing this narrative that they dropped him? Yes, 100%. I think that's, I mean, obviously they got this through sources. All right. So I think we all agree that, you know, if, if, I'm, a, if I'm an Iowa fan, I want my coaches to, to suck it up and get the kid. Uh, but, you know, that's me. I'm, a, I'm all about the old uh, talent wins out here. So anyway, let's move on to our next topic. Uh, Alabama, boy, they, you know, spoiler alert, they can, they continue to get whatever recruits they want. Uh, this time it's, it's major Tennyson, the, the big time tight end out of Texas. He was down to, uh, Michigan and, and Alabama per Nick Kruger. Uh, Nick, what, you know, how, how frustrated are the fans or the other schools in Texas that, uh, you know, Alabama can just come in and snag a guy like this away from away from a lot of the local schools without even really giving them, uh, you know, that big of a serious look at the end. Well, I, I think uh, with Alabama in this particular situation, it's it's position specific. You know, they are they also have uh, Malcolm Epps is a uh, 2018 tight end from Texas committed to Alabama next year. Obviously, we're familiar with Mustafa Muhammad. He's given them serious consideration. You know, in Alabama and Michigan, you know, when I talk to those guys, they all say that one of the attractive qualities about those programs is the number of tight ends they take in a class. So uh, I guess I guess from that perspective, it's not so surprising. Tennyson was a guy that decommitted before uh, the summer was even over. Uh, I thought he was going to let Texas play a few games so he could take a look at the offense and, and see what he thought about it. Um, it didn't even make it that far with him. He decommitted. He started taking visits uh, to Alabama almost immediately. So they must have been on him and saw something that they liked in him. Uh, he goes to a school where he's, you know, essentially the um, only player of note, I suppose. So I, I've yet to see him in person um, and deal with them so much. I can't really provide too much perspective on it. But other other than the fact that, you know, just just the reputation that, that those programs have for, for taking players at the position, I think is really uh, it's not it's not a it's not a Texas problem. I think, you know, if Tennyson was in a different state, you know, it w- he would still go there just by virtue of the fact of the opportunity for him. Yeah. This is a, this is a thing that we talk about with fans all the time. It's like, okay, you know, major Tennyson, obviously we think he's a good player. He's ranked high and he ends up going to Alabama. A lot of times, you know, the, the other fan base just complain that we rank the Alabama commits higher. Well, it's like, how are we supposed to know that, Alabama's going to go into Texas and steal one of the best players. And like you said, you know, they've, they, they seem to be doing this now on a regular basis, uh, going into whatever state they want and kind of nabbing the top guys. I don't know if there's any slowing them down. I mean, you know, Rob, are we seeing anything 
in the future that would think Alabama is going to slow down on the recruiting trail at all? You know, is Jim Harbaugh the only hope? I mean, is it to stop them? I mean, is if he turns Michigan into a powerhouse, maybe he can go toe to toe with them. But uh, other than that, I mean, they're at least a few years away from being able to do that. They've got too much momentum on the field, too much momentum recruiting. Uh, they're, you know, the most desirable place for for athletes because, you know, they look at Alabama as the glamour school, you know, and for good reason. I mean, if you watch them play on any given Saturday, I mean, obviously we all saw them this week just dominate an undefeated SEC team. Uh, you know, there's plenty of cause for, I'd want to go there too if I was a kid. I mean, the, <laughs> you win every game and, you know, you've got a good chance to go in the NFL. I mean, it's not hard to sell Alabama right now, but, you know, when Saban steps aside down the road, then they'll have a problem. But until then, I, I don't see the train stopping. What do you think? I mean, how do you think this ends? Yeah, I don't. I mean, I guess it would be. I guess you just kind of, kind of ride it out till till Saban's gone. It just, you know, it's just amazing that they can go. Like, like I said, that they can go get a guy from Texas that uh, that that people there wanted. Obviously, you know, things are lining up right for, with Texas struggling this year for for them to poach. But yeah, in my opinion, I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. I think they're going to get a few big guys from Texas every year. We've seen them take some guys and have them pan out. Some haven't so much. Uh, but you know, I, th- <laughs> I I think it's it's disheartening if you're a fan uh, of another school, that's for sure. So anyway, good good gift for Alabama. If you're an Alabama fan, you know you should be celebrating. They continue to win. They continue to win. Which I guess brings trailer. us back to another point, though. You know, if they they do have their pick of the litter, so why do they need to take the hot dog eaters? You know, <laughs> I, I, no comment. I can't say. I'm going to say something <laughs> stupid if I keep if I keep if we keep talking about this. Um, <laughs> let, let's let's move on. Let's move on. Louisville, one of the top teams in the country, having an excellent season, have been sort of so and so on the recruiting trail. Uh, but this past week, they get a commitment from four-star running back Colin Wilson out of uh, Florida. I think uh, he's from Green Cove Springs, which I think is up in the panhandle. I have no idea where it is. Did this kind of shock you, Rob? I know he's a guy that's kind of been uh, a little incognito for us in terms of getting a chance to see him in person, but we've got him ranked really high, and and it seemed to come out of nowhere. I hadn't heard a whole whole lot about him. So did this shock you with him? Come in. It would in any other year because he's a very, very, very good player, obviously. You know, he's big back. Uh, he does a lot of things very well. He's very versatile. But the reason that that was able to do this is it is so overcrowded with running backs right now in Florida. This is just a great two years for running backs, 2018, 2017, both, um, that all the other schools have filled up with in-state backs, right? You've got your A.J. Davises of the world. You've got your Darius Lemons, who may not have a school now, but does have a college at Florida. So everybody's grabbing their running backs in 2017 and 2018. Uh, where there's just such a wealth that it opens a door for Louisville to come in and get a very, very good, highly ranked player like Colin Wilson, who may be a little bit overlooked because of where he plays in relation to some of the other good running backs in Florida. Like you mentioned, it is up there in kind of no man's land at a program that doesn't get a ton of attention. Yeah, but is is this the start maybe of them starting to cash in on what, what we've seen so far? I know they have three, four stars now. Two of them are uh, from my neck of the woods receivers here in the Atlanta area, but is the buzz starting to build down there among some of the higher ranked guys? Yeah, and they've you know we talked about this last week I think with West Virginia they've, we've kind of likened them to Louisville they've taken a similar approach whereas they've always you know for the last four or five years really been throwing those offers out in the state of Florida uh, and some of them have stuck some of them haven't but they've always made sure to be involved at top high schools with top kids whatever you know whatever the case and hoping that would pay off down the road. And if you do that and you keep that pipeline up long enough and then all of a sudden you start to win like they have. Uh, then those two things mesh, you know, rather rather perfectly, uh, which they've done now. And now not only do you have the reputation of a winning program, but you also have the inroads that you spent building the last three years, maybe where you weren't on the national stage. And when those two things click at the same time, this is the kind of thing you can see. And I think that's the direction Louisville's headed in. Uh, if they end up, you know, if they end up sending a quarterback up to the Heisman Trophy stage, we all know that gives everybody a boost in recruiting. We saw it no better than when Robert Griffin won the Heisman at Baylor, and all of a sudden Baylor was recruiting four and high rivals 100 athletes. Uh, I think that Heisman Trophy boost is a real thing. It might be a real thing even more so than a playoff appearance being a real thing. Everybody wants a Heisman. Everybody wants individual accolades. Uh, So I think if Lamar Jackson ends the season on that Heisman stage, you're going to see another kick up in the Southeast for Louisville. Yeah, they're kind of going under the radar. And I think some of the guys in their class are due for for bumps, at least from from our perspective and me and you, Rob. That they, but they are recruiting really well down here. I think they got some commits from Alabama. As I mentioned, they got a couple guys from Georgia. Now they go into Florida. I mean, 
they're really doing a nice job of diversifying and building their team. I actually got a guy from Mississippi as well, uh, one from Tennessee. So I, I really think they're built to last. The question is, does Petrino stay there? That's what, that's what everyone's going to look at now in terms of, you know, is, are they built for the long haul? Can they, can he stay and keep that momentum rolling? Do you think he's still tainted? And maybe we should throw this over to Kruger first. Do we think that Petrino is still somewhat tainted as far as getting another bigger job, if you want to call it, air quotes, bigger job? Or do you think that some of that stink is still on him? Or do you think it's all good for him and he can really go wherever he wants? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you should be asking me about that. I have no moral compass whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> well, neither do I. And I'm not saying I'm not saying that he shouldn't or he should. Like, you know, I don't care who hires him. You know, if I was running a football team, I'd hire him. I don't. I don't care. But do you think he will? <laughs> My my anecdote is just, just the other day I, I was listening to a podcast or a radio show or something like that, and they were talking about uh, uh, they were talking about Petrino's uh, potential elsewhere. And the the disclaimer along with the point of talking about him was they thought that he was a scuzz bag of a person. So I don't know if that's still his public perception, <laughs> then maybe. I mean, I the good thing is loser radio hosts that like to throw those things around aren't making the hires. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think it is tough. I, I don't. I know it depends. What what it depends on what level we're talking about. Um, I, I'm not sure. I think, yeah, I think he might be happy there at Louisville, considering they gave him the second chance, and now they're in a big time conference. It's like he can win national championships there if he can get guys like Lamar Jackson. Now I know he's going to be like a a once in a lifetime type guy, but I mean, why wouldn't you at least stay through next year and and kind of play your career out with him? I think you know. Uh, I think there'll be there. Well, no, there, there won't be NFL options because he, he already sort of messed that up when he went to coach the Falcons <laughs> and then quit halfway through the season. I forgot about that. So um, I don't know. I I think I personally think he's going to stick around, but you know, there's going to be a lot of jobs open this year and maybe not a lot of candidates. So you never know when the money starts getting tossed around. Um, but either way, hey, they're rolling. Louisville fans, you're in the mix for the playoff. Enjoy it while you can because you never know. Uh, just ask Michigan State and Notre Dame and Oregon how quickly it can go in any other direction. So, so don't worry, don't worry about your coach leaving yet. Have fun. Um, now, Nick, what's going on? I know we, you know we don't talk a ton about TCU. Uh, we, we'll tie this into Oklahoma a little bit. Uh, one of their top commits, Jalen Rieger, flips from Oklahoma to TCU, which is odd considering uh, the way both of those guys have been going. And then Omar Manning, another highly ranked guy, also commits to TCU. Uh, what's going on down there in Texas? Is it, you know, why did, first of all, what happened with Rieger? What, why did he back away, especially considering that Oklahoma looked like they got things turned around? Uh, you know, well, with Oklahoma, with Oklahoma, uh, they already have, well, at, at the time when, when Rieger was committed, uh, he was the third of three Texas wide receivers that are all high four stars, seating Lamb and Charleston Rambo being the other. Uh, Grant Calcaterra is a guy that we have listed as an athlete, but I think a lot of people expect him to be a pass catcher there. Um, so Oklahoma's loaded with uh, pass catching potential out of this class. Um, not saying that there wouldn't have been a spot for Rager, but certainly when you look at what TCU's class was uh, prior to his prior to his flip, um, these are sort of the factors that went into it. First of all, Kennedy Snell, three-star uh, wide receiver teammate of his over at uh, Waxahachie High School, already had been committed to TCU. Certainly um, their, their relationship played a little bit into that. He was already um, in the... Uh, you know, in the area there, in that in that Fort Worth area too. Uh, you know, so so TCU a, a close option to home. I guess you know Oklahoma really wouldn't have been that that big of a stretch as far as distance goes, but TCU that much closer. Um, you know, you talk about an opportunity there. Uh, just a just a couple weeks prior, we saw uh, three, big three star wide receiver R.J. Sneed, uh, who I just went to go see play last weekend. Actually, he decommitted from TCU. So Snell at the time was the only wide receiver commitment. Uh, you know, in an offense that we all know is is pretty reliant on the passing game and up tempo uh, ball movement. With you know, and and Rager, I think Rager and Snell specifically fit into that uh, offense very well because they those are guys that that do um, very well catching you know catching the ball and running with it as opposed to uh, you know running underneath deep balls or whatever. So so getting getting them into an offense that gets them the ball a little bit quicker and lets them use their um, you know their their possession speed thereafter, I think is probably a little bit more beneficial from him scheme wise. Uh, I think, I think too, you know, as we all know, the, the head coach at Waxahachie is uh, John Kitna and I believe his son goes to TCU as, we as well. 
Yeah, yeah, so, we all knew. We all know why. Fa- famously, Hatch. well, well, the, the, I, I think I almost had a rant with Woody uh, when I, I went to go watch Waxahachie play earlier this season, and John Kitna never punts the ball. Right? It was fourth. It was fourth down. It was fourth and long, and he was on his own fifteen yard line, and still went, still went for it. And I think he, I think they actually got it. But, but I turned to the guy next to me in typical Womack fashion, and I was like, "What are we doing here?" And the guy's like. Hey, you know, this is, this is, it, it was like not even, it didn't even phase him. He was like, this is, this is the way we do things out here. And I was like, all right, then. So, so there we have it. John Kitna going, he's got the cojones to, when he, well, when he runs <laughs> us off, as we all know from his, from his playing career as a professional. So, um, so anyway, so, so all those factors, I think, you know, led into it. And now we're talking about Omar Manning, you know, heading over to TCU too, who is, is a guy that I think when you look at him, uh, very physically impressive and a guy that you expect to be maybe when you look at him passes the eye test right you expect him to be one of the best players on the field now I don't know if he necessarily always plays to that level I mean we certainly have seen Cartrell Thomas a three-star receiver uh, Lancaster teammate of his putting on much gaudier numbers over the course of this season um, but but I think still when you th- when you think about the three of those receivers on the field at the same time, uh, it, it certainly flips the perception of TCU's class, especially on offense. Now, if we could just get them some defensive commitments, they'd be they'd be real happy with things. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, TCU they they are starting to really you know push in for highly ranked guys. Um, we know over the past over the, in the past they built their team off of you know evaluations and stuff like that, but now that they can they can get in there and get big guys like this. I think it's a big win for them. And they continue to push into Louisiana as well. A lot of the highly ranked players I talked to there uh, speak highly of them as well. So I think, you know, despite that they're having a, a so-so season this year, uh, I think, uh, you know, things are bright for them in terms of, you know, their recruiting strategy. So, um, all right, that wraps up the top five. Now let's get into uh, the commitment issues conversation. This week I had a chance to sit down with the host of uh, American Ninja Warrior, former NFL player Akbar Gabaja Biamila, uh, which I think is how you say it. Uh, <laughs> I butcher it during the interview as well, which you can hear. Uh, so, Rob, you'll enjoy this one. Plenty of us railing against uh, social media and uh, oh, things of that God. nature. So. Uh, if you're a San Diego State fan, I uh, highly advise you listening in as uh, we talk about several topics there and um, more general college football as well. All right, we welcome in a special guest uh, this week to the show, former NFL player, host of American Ninja Warrior, uh, Akbar Bajabila Mila. Uh, man, I butchered it. I, 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 I practiced no, you didn't. that. You actually did a good job. <laughs> I tried. I tried hard. How are you doing today? I'm doing excellent. So, you know, we're having you on. You're part of a, a campaign here. Uh, you know, it's hashtag move to NDV. It's about domestic violence. A lot of people banding together. You're working as an ambassador there. Kind of fill us in some details and, and why uh, it was an important thing for you to get involved in. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, the move to NDV, um, you know, spoke to me just because I think it's one of those things that uh, happens behind closed doors that so many people uh, don't get to obviously know about because it's behind closed doors. And, and I uh, wanted to try to bring it into the light. Um, and so many people are affected by it. You know, Move to NDV is a, a Move to End Domestic Violence. It's a nonprofit organization that was actually created to help uh, businesses, uh, or excuse me, help battered uh, victims, you know, to be able to have a voice, to be able to find, you know, uh, someone to help rescue them out of their situation. And I was uh, really kind of touched by the, the, the start of move to NDV because for me personally as a former student athlete at San Diego State, I used to help people move from one location to the next. You know, they'd say, oh, big guys, you know, big guys will come and help me move and you get paid a couple hundred bucks to help somebody move. But uh, the, the people who started uh, move to NDV, they actually started as a moving company. And what they realized is that they started to, uh, the meathead movers, um, they were for profit at the time to help people move from one location, but they started running into these people who were uh, experiencing domestic violence in the home. And a lot of time they were making urgent moves, like, I got to get out of here in a couple of hours, or I got to get out of here by today. And this is what kind of led them to doing that. Now, me personally, I've never experienced, um, you know, moving somebody in a domestic violence situation, but I could just kind of relate being in that and the fact that they felt compelled having gone through you know, several of those incidents saying that we need to do something. And so I said, look, uh, God has truly blessed me just to be able to have a little bit of influence. And if I can influence 
you know, uh, a celebrity to join the ambassador program or businesses to be able to go out and donate their their whatever their goods are to uh, the Moon to NVV uh, campaign, it would be great. You know, if you, for example, if you take a, a toothpaste company, if Colgate says, hey, look, we'll donate 2,000 bottles or tubes of toothpaste. I mean, a lot of these people who are leaving, you know, really tough situations, they go out there and the one thing they fear is like, what am I, how am I going to take care of myself? They don't have money. They don't have their clothes. They don't have toiletry. Just whatever it is um, that you could do to contribute would, it's kind of my, my purpose now as an ambassador is just to bring awareness, uh, not just to domestic violence, but bring awareness to how others can get involved. Yeah, there's a social media campaign. There's also a website where you can learn about how to get involved, whether you're a business or you want to volunteer or maybe even donate some of those supplies uh, at movetondv.org. So obviously this is something that's that's really been in the headlines, especially this week with uh, you know some of the situations in the NFL. So I think a lot of people be interested in uh, in looking in, into that and, and perhaps volunteering. So obviously a good cause for you. We know you're involved in, in all sorts of stuff. You mentioned your days as a as a student athlete doing moving jobs and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know how close you pay attention to the recruiting scene now and what it's like, but, uh, you know, have you noticed the, the, the kind of notoriety these kids get today compared to when you were in high school? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's much different now. And I think the, the, the type of athletes are different now. Uh, you can get instant success by one big play. It's on YouTube and it's viral. Um, you know, kids now measure themselves by how many followers and likes and things like that. So we we get a different breed of athletes um, who are uh, all into popularity. So um, whereas I think you used to try to attain that when you're younger and you knew that you had to wait and earn it when you got to the professional level, uh, so many of these kids are experiencing that, experiencing this um, in Pop Warner, experiencing it in high school and in the college level as well. So social media has definitely brought a lot of attention to some of the young athletes. And so there's power in in that, in using social media. Same thing we're trying to do with uh, move to end uh, domestic violence, using social media to, you know, uh, to, to bring awareness. But we also, too, you know, when you look, when we talk about domestic violence, taking that hashtag and then turning it into a hash action. You know, like now you've seen the hashtag. Now let's move into action. Let's let's get something going. Let's let's be productive. Yeah, and that's you know, actually, as as someone who interacts with a lot of you know recruits on a regular basis, I know some of them come from challenging uh, situations where they may be moving a lot or going to different households or maybe even dealing with some of these issues. So uh, you know, it's uh, it's obviously something that that people want to get involved with uh you that social aspect what do you think you know i know you're active on twitter and, and you know you're obviously a popular media personality what do you think it would have been like for you to have social media and maybe at your uh fingertips when you were you know 16 17 18 trying to make a name for yourself as an athlete it would have been dangerous i wouldn't i would i don't think i would have a platform um because if you look at the time and, and that time i don't even think there was precedent for having that type of success in masses. And so if you would have given me that, I probably would have made a lot of mistakes um, at 15, 16 year, years old. Like my kid, uh, he plays football now. Um, but, uh, you know, he said he doesn't have a Twitter, Instagram. He doesn't have any of that. Now, I have all of them. I've got Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, you name them, I have them. But uh, I think too much is given, much is required, and you have to earn that. And so, you know, to answer your question, I think I would have been distracted. I would have been lost by that. I wouldn't have been hungry. Yeah, you uh, you stayed close to home relatively, went to San Diego State. I know your brother was, was there as well. You wanted to play with him. Do you remember, you know, going through that recruiting process, meeting with coaches? I know you had some opportunities to, to go to some different programs. But, you know, what what was it, I guess, about San Diego State? And what, what, did you come close to maybe leaving to go to a, another big-time program, uh, maybe in the Pac-10 or something like that? Yeah, well, funny you should mention that. So uh, the schools that recruited me were San Diego State, Cal, Hugh Jackson, who's now the head coach uh, for the Cleveland Browns, uh, was recruiting me out of Cal. Um, uh, there was Oregon, Colorado State, San Diego State, and Fresno State. Fresno State was just in the boonies to me. That was not going to go be a no-go. <laughs> Oregon came as like a last-minute thing. 
Um, and so really the two schools that I were really looking at was um, San Diego State and Cal. And Colorado State was very, very interested, but it snowed. I'm an L.A. kid. Snow scared me. Um, and so so I, I immediately got rid of, you know, Fresno, Oregon, because I was offended that, you know, I was like their last option. Um, and what was the other school? Um, oh, in Colorado State because of snow. So Cal was my heart. And growing up in a Nigerian household, parents always emphasize education. You got to get your PhD and you got to get your master's, and that's all they talk about. They don't even sports is nothing to them. They don't they're like what is sports? You get your education. Um, so that's where my heart was leaning towards. But I realized because I had only played one year of high school football that um, I never had the chance to play with my brother. I was a basketball player. Played at Crenshaw High School at the peak of our. Uh, basketball dynasty, you know, we were on a 20 or 30 year run of dominance. And um, I said, look, I'm going to the NBA. At least that was my thought. And so everybody thought that I should play because my brother was so successful and he got a scholarship. And it was the coach uh, there that made me really believe. I always wanted to play with my brother, but it was Coach Toner and Coach Delgado, uh, who's also in Cleveland as uh, an assistant D-line coach, um, Ken Delgado. Uh, that they really showed me that they cared. And I came from a two-parent household, and my mom and dad, they cared about me. My high school coach, Robert Garrett, uh, he cared about me. Um, and so whereas I felt like some of the other schools would just say, ah, we just want you to San Diego State cared not only about me as an athlete, but they cared about me as a person. Now I wanted to talk to you about the Aztecs. Now they've actually have a you know they're having a great season. They got a legitimate Heisman uh, contender in uh, Donnell Pumphrey, the running back. What do you have, have you been following them? What do you think about the way the program's kind of been turned around and been getting back to where it's in a national conversation? Well, first off, kudos to uh, Donnell Pumphrey, an, an exceptional kid. Uh, I've had the chance to you know sit down, talk with him, meet him. Uh, this kid, he's special. Um, you know, every now and again, you get a kid who has all of it. The one thing he may be miss- missing is size, but I don't think his size is going to matter. He reminds me of a guy that I played against uh, with the Kansas City uh, Chiefs. Uh, they called him the human joystick, uh, Dante Hall. Um, now, they're not the same stature, but his ability that they're both smaller size, but they can cut and they can stop and they've got great vision. This kid has exceptional vision on the field. Um, and then when you meet him off of that, he's not one of these arrogant, big-time athletes. He's just a cool, humble, grounded guy. And I think many teams will appreciate that, especially – you know, in an era where you're dealing with so many DJs because of the social media stuff, you know, this kind of false sense of who they are, um, you know, look, social media is going to promote delusions of brand, or let's just face it, and this kid doesn't have that. Um, but then Rocky Long and what he's done with the program, you know, I don't think he was the favorite pick because, you know, he, he was a staple in the Mountain West and New Mexico for, for so many years, and it's look like, well, is this a lateral move for him? And, you know, so when Brady Hoke left, you know, so many people was like, man, look what Brady Hoke has done. We've got to get somebody to carry a torch. Well, he's done more than carry a torch. He's held his own. And, and so Rocky Long has taken San Diego State, brought new pride to San Diego State, bringing in a lot of the, you know, I had a chance to walk the team out um, doing the Aztec walk, um, but just, you know, staying in contact with a lot of the, you know, guys who graduate the alumni base, um, and just getting the program going, getting that run game going, that defense is amazing. Um, you know, I know we had a, a terrible loss to South Alabama, um, and I looked at that game, and that was a classic case of playing down to your competition. Let's just face it. I mean, you know, that's a game where, I mean, they gave it to Cal. Um, it was back and forth, but that Pumphrey kid, I mean, just went off on them. Um, and so, look, I, I think they've got, you know, a long stretch. I think they're going to be a repeat uh, Mountain West champion. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward. And they got the kid on defense, KZ, as well, uh, who's really stepped up and showing up to be, uh, you know, a big-time player. Um, we'll wrap it up here quickly. A lot, a lot of the kids we talk to, you know, they talk about, you mentioned life after football. It doesn't last long. We know you played in the NFL for, for a handful of years, and you made a quick, successful transition, you know, from the game into, you know, not only sports media, but obviously, you know, traditional media with you uh, working on uh, your television show, American Ninja Warrior. So how how important was it for you to make that transition? Was that something you prepared for ahead of time, or did you find yourself uh, – you know, having to make a quick decision on what you wanted to do next. 
Well, that's a great question. And I think what happens, first and foremost, the one thing that needs to be, you know, talked about is that when leaving the game of football, there's an identity crisis that happens to athletes, whether you're leaving it in the pros or you're leaving it in college. For so many years, you've been identified and so many people have seen you as just an athlete. Um, and that can be good and bad. Um, and obviously there's a lot of perks that come with that. But the one thing is that you lose yourself and you say, well, hold on, what is it that I like? What is it that I want to do? And I remember my first year at San Diego State, um, you know, I think a lot of the student athletes were doing criminal justice major, and that's kind of where they pushed you towards, and, hey, criminal justice, criminal justice. And every school has this department that a lot of the athletes will probably be more successful at, uh, whether it's sociology or whatever it is at the school. And I was very, very strong in saying that I wanted to do communication with an emphasis in new media study because when I got to San Diego State, I was like, well, what is it that I like to do and what is it that I want to do? And I had to have that serious, uh, um, you know, uh, assessment of myself. And so anyways, long story short, I was able to do that, identify that. I stayed in doing communication, um, went on to play in the NFL with the Raiders and Chargers. And then I realized, I said, you know what? Before I leave the game, I was never a big-name star. My brother was a big-time superstar, all-time sack leader for the Packers. Um, and, you know, he was always the superstar. Um, it still is in my eye. Um, and I said to myself, well, how can I take the NFL and leverage whatever I've done in the NFL into my next career? And essentially what I did was I said, hey, look, I'll go out and work locally in San Diego for free so I can get a hands-up experience because I've been gone now for, what, eight, nine, ten years playing football. I have no real work experience. And so that was kind of my transition point. It's like, you know, what do I need to do to make it to the next point? And so it's being able to identify and kind of knowing what your purpose is, what your passion is. And if you can identify your passion and purpose, I guarantee you by the time you get done playing whatever sport you're playing, you'll be able to find a very, I won't say smooth transition. There will be some ups and downs but you'll be able to find a transition um, quickly enough. Yeah, you mentioned the, the school's kind of pushing guys to certain majors. I mean, you said that you felt that. Uh, have you talked to some younger guys in college and told them, you know, hey, you don't, you don't have to do inter interdisciplinary studies or criminal justice, like you said, you can branch out and, and pursue uh, other interests? You know what? I, I, what do you, let me tell you something. I've never thought about that. I never thought about going back and giving that message. That's probably one of those story points that I just kind of overlooked. But it is important because you kind of can fall into it. I remember at first I was a little confused, like, oh, my brother's doing business management. But he knew his purpose. He's always been wired that way. And so maybe I should do business management. And then I looked at him and said, like, there's some math in business management. I was like, I am not a math guy. You guys just got to know who you are. You got to know what you like. And the one thing I didn't want to be told by my counselors what to do. Like, you're going to be present. Oh, well, you won't be able to graduate in a certain amount of time. And, you know, it may be this, and they may have this, and it may conflict. I was like, no, 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 no. Like, my, I, and I told you at the beginning of this, my parents emphasized education. And so I was like, I know what I'm good at, and I know what I would love to do if there was no such thing as football. So why not take it there? Not to mention, your education is free. Might as well take it full advantage of it. I don't want to walk away with a free education saying I got a degree in criminal justice. Or oh, well, you could be a CIA agent when you're like, I think it's cool to have something plugged into your ear and looking around and, you know, secret service and all that stuff. But that's not what I want to do for a living. And you ended up with the, you still got some, you got some plugged in your ear. It's just a producer telling you what to, what to say or not say, I guess, <laughs> when, when you're on TV instead of a secret service agent giving you instructions. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. I did get to wear an ISD uh, in a different capacity. That's right. It worked out okay. All right, so, you know, another reminder, we want to remind people once again about the campaign, uh, Move to NDV. Um, you know, it's it's founded by Meathead Movers, uh, as you mentioned earlier, and they're giving, you know, they're trying to provide free moving services to victims of domestic violence, and they're trying to get 10,000 businesses to donate free products or services to shelters to help victims and survivors of domestic violence. So you can find that at move to ndv.org or use the hashtag 
move to NDB. Akbar, thanks for joining us. We can see you on American Ninja Warrior, the NFL Network, and uh, oh boy, all over the place, of course, on Twitter as well. So we really appreciate you taking the time and uh, talking to us about a couple of important topics today. Hey, Woody, thank you so much. This is good. I appreciate it. Oh, boy. What an excellent interview that was, Woody. I really commend you for uh, <laughs> for taking the time to do that. We'll also have a couple of uh, Big 12 interviews this week later on. Nick talking with a for- couple of former Texas greats and Rob talking with Oklahoma coach Bob Stoops. So be on the lookout for that in another episode, which we'll uh, download right to your phone if you subscribe on iTunes. We're going to go ahead and skip Tweet of the Week this week, where none of us could find anything we thought was uh, funny enough. So uh, let's get right into the game of the week. Uh, last week, Texas A&M at Alabama. Rob and I, too scared to take the points, which were 16 and a half. The line actually went up to 19 by game time, so it was a push. Uh, but Rob and I both thought that uh, the Aggies would cover that big score. But Nick trusts Alabama, and now all of a sudden on the season, Nick and Rob tied at 5-2. and two. I fall to 4-3, and three. so congratulations, Nick, on that one. Way to pick uh, Alabama and trust in Nick Saban. We're really doing well as a podcast on the picks, though, man. I mean, really are. Very impressed with us. Yeah, we are doing we are doing well, and you know, it's been some talk about us adding a separate lock of the week, especially after last week's lock of the week by me, uh, which I shared with Nick and a friend who happened to be visiting Vegas, uh, Kentucky, to, <laughs> was getting three points at home, and uh, they won outright there. So uh, let's move into this week's game: Nebraska at Wisconsin. Wisconsin, a nine-point favorite, despite being. Despite being, uh, you know, lower ranked, but the game is at home at Camp Randall, tough place to play. Guys, how do you see it shaking out? I guess we'll start with the, with uh, Nick, since you're technically the leader after last week's win. <laughs> I I did watch a fair amount of the Wisconsin Iowa game last week, and uh, really enjoyed myself. Boy, let me clean up my thoughts. I think I think the I think Wisconsin already has two losses. I think that we just saw we just saw a significant injury out of last game. Uh, for them defensively, Nebraska obviously a snappy offense. Uh, you know, really coming in there and mixing things up. You know, I think uh, you know, and Wisconsin. I, I I give Iowa more credit for not playing well in that game than I give Wisconsin for playing well in that game. So I'm going to take Nebraska to cover. I mean, nine points is a lot for this situation, and Nebraska rolling. Uh, just continuing to prove the critics wrong. Mike Riley, a friend of the podcast. I got to go with the Huskers, baby. All right, Rob, what do you think? You know, this is a tough one. I think this is one of the, the tougher ones we've had this year. I, I, I tend to side with Nick, I think. I think that we are going to see a big game for my boy Terrell Newby out of California, who plays for the, you know, one of those Calabrasca guys. Uh, maybe the original Calabrasca guy, right? I think he's got in, in for a big game on the ground. Uh, I think Nebraska covers. You know, I'm not ready to say they went outright, but I think this will be a closer game than nine points. I'll take the Huskers and friend of the podcast, Mike Riley. Boy, yeah, you know what? In the, in the, I'm not saying that Nebraska is going to win outright. I don't, you know, I'm not that wise. But if you look at the points, nine points, especially in a Big Ten game, I mean, that's like 50 points in a regular conference. I think, I think uh, I'm going to go ahead and and also take Nebraska to cover, just because. I mean, we could be looking at a contest that's you know 17 to to 13 or something like that, or even 17 to 10. I, I don't really see it being a high scoring game. So uh, let's make it a clean clean sweep. We'll all go that way. I can't fall another game behind either because I'm struggling. Let's move right into rants and recommendations. All right. Now I was gone last week. I heard you guys uh, making fun of me as, as my topics were up. <laughs> Nobody was uh, making fun. We were reading. Rob, once again, uh, ne- neglects to fill out the spreadsheet, so I don't know if he has a rant or a recommendation. Um, Nick, we'll start with you then. Go ahead. What, what, start us off on a positive note. Positive note. Okay. All right. And this is great. This is this is going to have an audio bonus for all of our listeners uh, to the podcast right now. You know, guys, obviously, I've talked uh, often, and I'm very enthusiastic about crowd reactions, marching bands. I really love uh, the fan, the, the the ancillary interactions in the football game. By the way, one of the games I went to, two war- two sideline issues warning uh, warned. Wait, two sideline warning issued. Uh, you know what I'm saying to to the home team of one of the games that I was at because the band the refs deemed the band uh, too influential in trying to uh, disrupt the cadence of the snap or whatever. So they were giving sideline warnings to the home team, which I thought well, I had I had yet to see that this season uh, or really any at all in recent memory. Which but but uh, and it might have been the same band that I'm about to recommend. Uh, other bands follow the lead of. 
in the middle of the game, they were playing Cold Hearted Snake by Paula Abdul. And boy, oh boy, talk about a deep dive for a marching band, especially with what we're used to hearing from Atlanta, the for like 20 minutes straight that I constantly complained about. I couldn't be happier to leave that marching band situation. But they got right after it, went went to the 80s songbook. And, you know, my recommendation is for other other uh, marching bands, take note, you know, mix it up a little bit. Let's get some sunglasses at night. Let's get a little... Your rhythmics, maybe something with uh, some jazz about it. I was at a game earlier this year. Miami Northwestern's band were joined by the drill team and the cheerleaders in a rendition of Mr. P's and Mr. Ice Cream Man, where the band played it and the cheerleaders and the drill team sang it. Uh, it was amazing. <laughs> you, you know, you don't really hear uh, '90s No Limit hip hop played by marching bands either. I was, I was taken aback. Now we're talking. Yeah. yeah. You, you you do hear in Atlanta. You hear you hear. Uh, well, no, you also hear a lot of ludicrous. Uh, you know, you hear a lot of move. But Mr. Ice Cream Man is a song unabashed about crack dealing. Okay, that's what that song's uh, so, about. Rob, what do you got? You got a rant? You got a rec- recommendation? What is it? I got a birthday shout out. A couple birthday shout outs. The great Pedro Martinez. <laughs> Uh, and it's also oh Katie. God. It's also Ooh, Katie. It's also yeah, Katie Perry's geez. birthday today. <laughs> hey, no disrespect. Also, Bobby Knight's birthday today. But I also have, uh, you know, while we're on the subject of baseball and Pedro Martinez, guys, I'm not. I am okay. I was going to say I'm not a hater, but I am totally a hater. And maybe this comes from a place of bitterness. But I am about. I've reached the apex of Cubs fatigue already, and the World Series has not started yet. It's. I have a problem with the way we treat this team. Like they deserve to win a world series because they haven't won one in a long time. We treat them like a special case. I have friends that act like they're 108 years old and have been suffering since 1908 with this team. But it's like, man, you're 29. Like you haven't been suffering any longer than anybody else. It's not the end of the world. Plus most of these Cubs fans are also Bulls fans, right? They got to live through Michael Jordan winning every title imaginable. So let's not pretend like these people have been tortured by their sports teams forever. I mean, unless you're like an old man who is only a baseball fan or an old woman, uh, we like to be PC here on the Commitment Issues podcast, I, I, I have a hard time feeling bad for you. And I'm not necessarily on this like, oh, I'd like to see the Cubs win it just because and nobody can shut up about the Cubs and I'm starting to get bitter and, and upset about it. Uh, that's what? That, it's total Red Sox syndrome there uh, this year. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'm. Guess what? And also, where did this fly the W come? When did that's that an start? Old, as old, a thing? old thing. Every time they win, they put up that W flag. Uh, it's, since it's been when? I, this time. is the first year I've ever heard about it. Now, keep in mind, I was. A, a staunch observer of baseball for for the better part of my life, no, and let, I let me never explain to you. It, it is an ever old thing. heard that. It's it's an old thing. Okay. It's been going on for a very long time. The reason you're just now hearing about it is because there are all of a sudden fifty times more Cubs fans that are talking about it than there were you know, ten years ago. Uh, it's it's just like a, you know, it's there's just more avenues to hear about it, I guess now because everybody you know is suddenly a Cubs fan. Well, I don't think we need to ask what side I'm on. I hate everyone and everything. Go Indians. I'll be rooting uh, strongly for the Indians. Uh, I'm, watching, because I'm watching I the Panthers see. tonight. I, I, I cannot watch baseball. I'm, I'm checked out right now. I, I'm, it's still a bad place. Well, now, now, you know how Nick and, now you know how Nick and I have felt for the last five years. Um, <laughs> all right. So, so guess what? I got a recommendation I'm going to start it off with. An app recommendation. I know uh, plenty of our listeners enjoy their uh, smartphones. And guess what, boys? This is going to change your life. This app is called Tunity, T-U-N-I-T-Y. And the way it works is you download it on your phone, like any other app, and you point it at a TV. You know, say you're at a, say you're at a sports bar. Say you're at the gym on the treadmill. And you know, a lot of the I know a lot of us. We go to the gym, and it has a FM signal or something. If you want to listen to the TV audio, but it's like, where am I going to get an FM radio? This app, you point it at any TV anywhere. It scans it, and then it plays the audio from said TV in your headphones. I don't know how it works. I've done it in my neighborhood when I can in my neighbor's houses. <laughs> I can point it from the street to the TV in their house, and it'll play the audio in my ears. So no, that's huge, and especially at the gym because there are times you know I'm on the treadmill and I'm looking at the TV, and there's some Doctor Phil episode on, and there's some subtitles, and it looks like maybe the student and the teacher have eloped together, and I really want to know what's going on there, and I usually have to guess, and the subtitles are behind, and you know sometimes I, I'm just going to plug in from now on. 
I tell you, no, I tell you what, you just, I'm telling you, you just have your headphones on, you point it at, it scans it, and you're listening. So, uh, sports bar, I did it the other day, I tested it at a sports bar to make sure it could work, uh, which was at Fletcher's at the South DeKalb Mall, which uh, you want to talk about a dicey uh, area to go have a pregame meal, I'd say that was one. Uh, but I listened to Around the Horn as a test, and uh, it worked, and then I quickly remembered why I don't watch Around the Horn. And I stopped <laughs> using it. So I would advise anybody uh, go ahead and use that. Now, Rob, do you have a recommendation? No, no, I got nothing, man. Okay. Uh, right. It's also so, Brian Kelly's so birthday Nick, today, though. What is his birthday? First of so, all... I, I was clicking around on Twitter, and there was a link to uh, Katy Perry's birthday, and I clicked on it, and it just brought up a list of celebrity birthdays for today. So I started reading them. <laughs> Today is Tuesday. Nobody will hear this until Wednesday, and all said birthdays will be over. So, uh, <laughs> Rob, let's hear, or Nick, excuse me, let's hear about, uh, I, you got to rant. I enjoy listening to you complain about stuff since you're mostly a positive guy. So I went to I went to three games in the Houston area this past weekend. <clears throat> uh, brought my wife with me on the trip. So during the day, we were doing stuff in the afternoon. We went to a nice museum. We went, we went for... Uh, a walk through the through the park on Saturday uh, morning, d- close to downtown. I think it's called Buffalo uh, Bayou Trail, I believe. And people from Houston will know uh, what I'm talking about. And but you know, anyway. So so after after the walk was over on Saturday, I had a 7 p.m. game to get to in Cyprus. We were staying in Midtown Houston. I was like, we need to get uh, something something to eat very quickly and efficiently. Uh, you know, my wife is a big fan of uh, looking up places on Yelp, and uh, you know, and then finding the place that has the highest reviews and going there. We found a spot that was close by. It was a deli uh, similar to, uh, you know, something that you might be familiar with, uh, Woody, like a West Side Provision sort of thing in Atlanta where it's kind of like a store slash deli slash uh, like quick restaurant sort of deal slash my slash my nightmare. Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, well anyway, so we were... walks lately too, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> So I'm thinking this is a great opportunity for us just to get a quick sandwich, you know, our, our artisan cheeses and meats or whatever. It's going to be t- real tasty. You know, we're going to be happy. We're going to go on our way. We pull up to the place. There's four parking spots in the front that are all taken. The rest of the spots uh, in the parking lot that goes around the back of the building all coned off, all complimentary valet. Now, come on, guys. Listen, this is this. We're getting to the point, and this is something that I know has taken over Atlanta, and I'm, it's been a problem in South Florida for years as well. Complimentary valet is no longer an enticing amenity for for a place. For I see complimentary valet, and I immediately look for the next option because I don't want somebody else parking my car, especially when it's a rental that I'm on the hook for if he dings it. Uh, I don't want to have to tip the guy, even though it's quote unquote complimentary. When I come out, when I'm just going in there to pick up a sandwich, I'm going to spend all of hopefully no le- no more than ten minutes in there, you know. And then I got to wait for him to go get get my car, get the keys, bring it over, readjust the seat, so on and so forth. We pulled straight through that place. I didn't look back, and we went and we went straight to Chipotle. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure this was a real contentious situation because I know your lovely wife really hates valet, as I remember experiencing one night when we were in Atlanta, <laughs> and she was ready to move out of the city because uh, she was had this valet issue. So I have to imagine it was a it was a angry uh, sandwich experience for the both of you guys there. Um, well, guess what? I got a little time for my rant before we wrap it up, even though we're way long here. Um, well, listen, big, big shot, big shot to Alex Kruger was really disappointed that Rob and I only came through with a, a very piddly sort of rant and recommendation segment last week. So yeah, so we we're need making Woody up for this, this, man. I mean, it's <laughs> this is kind of his forte, right? Like we're just not as angry. Well, and out, you know, a big shot to Alex. He enjoys. Uh, he does enjoy listening to complain about stuff, and he's a perfect uh, sidekick because he doesn't say a whole lot back. So, uh, <laughs> lets me do a lot of the t- lets me do a lot of the talking. As uh, him and I hung out quite a bit after Nick moved away from Florida, left us down there together. So, um, guess what? It's election season. Uh, and I don't want to get too political on this no, podcast. Here we go. The thing from last week, he's he's holding on to this. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I listen. It's early. Early voting has started. I'm seeing selfies, a picture with their "I voted" stickers, and that's that's fine. Listen, you want to do that, but don't do not post on social media and tell me to vote and how important it is, and you don't care who I vote for. Number one, you do care who I vote for because if I if if I vote for the person that's not who you like, you're going to be pissed. Number two. 
don't tell me to do something I'm already going to do. It's like look. It's like the look twice for motorcycle sign. Every time I see one of those, I just want to hit the next motorcyclist I see. That's how mad it makes me. I know to look in my mirror to not hit another person, and I know on election day to go vote. And you telling me to do it on social media makes me so mad. It makes me not want to vote. It makes me want to do negative voting. If I could take votes back from previous elections, I would do so. Or it makes me want to go and vote for the most ridiculous candidate in every single category. To be fair, I wasn't going to vote at all this year until I saw the girl that I used to sit behind in 11th grade Spanish tell me to vote on the internet. And then I decided, you know what? I should. I really should. I really should, Sarah Johnson. It's important. Thank you. It's your duty. <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to do it. But now that Sarah Johnson has told me that I need to, I need to really get that done so listen if you're one of those people who tells other people to vote take a look in the mirror and realize that no, nobody cares what you think and <laughs> and they're either going to vote or they're not going to vote and it has nothing to do with uh your opinion so you know what people do care about though Woody? it's pablo picasso's birthday i'm sorry i'm done you draw like a you draw like a three-year-old you what a genius <laughs> add that to the rants of the week <laughs> Uh, anyway, that wraps it up this week. Reminder, please subscribe on iTunes. We'll have more episodes this week. And, uh, boy, Paula Abdul or whatever marching band that was that Nick went to go see, <laughs> play us out. Uh, and you can find M. Deuce on SoundCloud, even though you're not listening to him, uh, at M. Deuce. See you next week, Hot Dog Eaters.